Well, morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Let's, uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we praise you that you know us perfectly. And we thank you that you want us to know you. And so we do pray this morning as we read your word together that you would reveal something of yourself to us and you would enable us to see you, to understand you, to know you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever done one of those um, psychometric tests in which you have to answer a, a whole load of questions about how you would respond in certain uh, situations. The end result of it being to tell you what sort of personality that you are. If you've uh, tried to do one, they're actually quite hard to do because um, yeah, we're all quite complex beings and um, often we don't really know ourselves. Um, we don't know why we respond in certain situations and the way we do. Sometimes when we do respond in one way, we, we wish we'd responded in a different way. And if we don't know ourselves, then how can we expect others to know or to understand us? And even, even if we do know ourselves, what is it that's made us like we are? Is it our genes? Is it our, our upbringing? Is it the choices that we have made? But the great encouragement from this passage that we're looking at this morning, this is the first of three in Psalm 139, is that there is someone who does know us, who understands us, and who doesn't know why we behave as we do. And that is God. And when someone understands you and knows you, it is easier to enjoy a relationship with them. As we've said many times before, mankind's greatest need is relationship because we're all made in the image of God. God is relational. He's made us as relational beings. And the relationship we need above all is a relationship with God. But taking that a step further, what is our greatest need in a relationship? It's intimacy. By which I I don't necessarily mean sexual intimacy, but intimacy in the sense of knowing someone a very close way to the extent that you're able to trust them completely, that you're willing to be emotionally naked before them. It's not just a relationship between a husband and a wife. It can be a very close friendship in which there is a real honesty and a level of trust that is sadly not always found in a marriage. You may know the story of Adam and Eve who enjoyed that level of intimacy before the fall. And the first consequence of the fall, of their disobedience before God, was that they became aware of their nakedness and they, they covered themselves. It wasn't just a physical nakedness they, they covered, but they, they covered themselves emotionally. They'd lost that emotional intimacy. They also tried to hide from God with whom, again, they had previously enjoyed an intimate relationship. What we're looking at this morning as we study Psalm 139 together is that whilst we can enjoy an intimate relationship with another human being, and we want to to encourage that, the most intimate relationship we can enjoy is that with God himself. Because he is the one who knows us best. After all, he was the one who made us. And with this background, let's come to the psalm, if you've got it open in front of you. The first thing that we learn is that, um, looking for the clicker, (coughs) 
God knows us better than we know ourselves. The psalmist starts with these words, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. It's one of the things that causes us greatest worry in life, isn't it? Um, That we've been misunderstood. Isn't it that people have got a wrong impression of us? Maybe we've had a conversation with someone during the day, and as we, we think back on it, we're, we're worried about um, how, we, how, how do we come across? Do we come across in the right way? Maybe we said something which may, they may have taken the wrong way and may have been offended by. Maybe we forgot to ask them about their current situation, and now they probably think we just don't care. Maybe someone has been hurt by us because of something they think we said or something they, they think that we did and they've got the wrong end of the stick and we want to to correct their misunderstanding because if we don't they will think badly of us or someone has distanced themselves from us and we don't know why what was it that we said or did that might have made them do that the worst case misunderstanding can lead to false accusation Cliff Richard shared the despair he felt after the police uh, were filmed by the BBC raiding his home um, with a story that he had been guilty of paedophilia. He said in, in the court case and the libel case that he brought later against the, uh, the, the BBC, I felt as though I was in a hole with no means of getting out. And I was on my knees in the kitchen sobbing. At that moment, I couldn't see how I could face the future, my friends or my family. Although I'd done nothing wrong, it felt like the world, everyone who knew me, everywhere I'd been, must believe I had, or at least was talking about whether I'd done it. Many of the Psalms are laments of people who have been badly treated or falsely accused by, by their enemies. And the Psalmist pleads with God for justice to be done. Well, people may misunderstand us, but the good news is that God knows us perfectly. Which is a wonderful reassurance, isn't it? We, we don't need to justify ourselves before God. We don't need to explain ourselves. He knows us, warts and all. So what God, what does God know about us? We know what we do. It says here, verse two, you know when I sit and when I rise, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He knows how we spend our time. He knows what interests we have. He knows what we enjoy doing. He knows what we think. Verse 2 says, You perceive my thoughts from afar. That is the good thoughts and the bad thoughts. He knows what is going on inside our heads. And not only does he know those thoughts, he he knows the cause of those thoughts. He knows what what incident triggered us to think in a certain way. You know that situation when you're talking with somebody and suddenly something's triggered in your mind and you start talking about something else. Husband and wives often know each other so well that they they know what triggered that in our mind that's made us start to talk about something. But God always knows. He knows what we're thinking even when we have mental health issues and, and nobody else, even the doctors, can understand why. He knows what we say. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
He knows when we use words to, to show compassion and care. He knows when we use words to, to gossip, to lie, to express anger. He knows when we can't find the words to express what we're thinking and we get frustrated by that. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses and he knows them better than we do. We cannot know ourselves as well as God. And as John Calvin, one of the the 16th century reformers said, we cannot truly know ourselves unless we know God. He said, man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. Well, why is it such a wonderful thing to be known by God because being known by God means we don't need to worry about shame we don't need to worry about rejection two of the main things that prevent intimacy in any relationship shame and the fear of rejection shame is that knowledge of something you've done that you know was wrong and that makes you feel guilty we saw that with Adam and Eve they they disobeyed God, they were guilty and there was shame And what do you do with shame? You hide. You cover it up as they try to do. If things remain hidden, if they remain not talked about, they will cause a barrier in any relationship and prevent intimacy. We're talking about his unconfessed sin. If a a relationship is to flourish and become intimate, sin has to be confessed. It has to be repented of. And once it is, it can be forgiven and the rebuilding of trust can start. With God, we don't need to worry about shame. We cannot hide our sins from God in any case. He knows them before we confess them. Now, at one level, that could be terrifying. Um, If we believe in God as the God of justice, who will one day come to judge us, and he knows everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, that could lead us to despair. Because however hard we might try to, uh, to, to think, to do, and say good things, we will keep failing. And we may feel desperate. And these words then, if we read them in that context, would feel a bit like Big Brother. Um, when I was at school, one of the, uh, the main texts we, we studied was uh, 1984. Some of you remember that by George Orwell. Um, in those days, 1984 was still in the future. Um, it's a bit worrying. But that was frightening reading that book because um, the idea that there was no way you could go where you were not being watched by telescreens, overheard by microphones, having informers watching you. The idea of the thought police who were able to discover, to punish thought crime. But why did they do that? Because they were desperate to, to be in control, to control everything you did. God is, is already in control. He doesn't need to know everything we do in order to remain in control. But the main thing is that God is not just a God of justice, he's a God of mercy. And it's because he knows our hearts, it's because he knows that there's nothing we can do to to make ourselves right before him, he has done something about it. He's come into this world as a human being. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, which is all of us. He came to enable us to know him. It's one thing that God knows us, even more amazing, that he wants us to know him. 
He doesn't just sit aloof watching down uh, on us in some sort of dictatorial way. He wants to enjoy a relationship with us. Even though he's the, the God of the universe and we are just mere creatures. So if we come to him, trusting that Jesus Christ came to save us, as we come to him and ask for his forgiveness, he will forgive us and we become free from shame and guilt. We can't hide our sins from God because he knows them anyway, but we don't need to because he forgives us. In the Old Testament, King David tried to to hide his sin, the sin of adultery and murder. And when God's messenger, the prophet Nathan, came to him and pointed it out, he was full of remorse. In Psalm 51, he cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He's saying, I know that you know all my sin, but according to your compassion, blot it out. No longer allow it to come between us. And God did. He God forgave him. Because Jesus would one day come and take that punishment that he deserved. We can come to God, we can confess all of our sins without fear, without shame, because he knows them already, and he's forgiven us for them in Jesus. Secondly, we don't need to worry about rejection. If you're going to make yourself emotionally naked before someone, you have to be able to trust them. You cannot reveal your innermost thoughts and feelings to somebody who you think will just go and tell somebody else about them. Or if you feel they may just look at you differently as a result. You were friends with them, but now you've shared something honest that may be less attractive about yourself. And it may make them change the way they view you. There's that fear of rejection, fear of a lost friendship. But to go deeper in a relationship requires a level of risk-taking. The more open and honest you are with someone the more vulnerable you're going to make yourself. What if they don't want to have a closer relationship with you? What if they're, they're just happy with where it is? But when we come to God in humility and in our vulnerability and ask for forgiveness and reveal our deepest thoughts and feelings, he will never reject us. We cannot shock him with any revelation anyway. <laughs> he knows it already. But also he doesn't forgive us begrudgingly. He doesn't leave us to to stew. He forgives us with open arms. He longs for there to be nothing between us. The whole point of him forgiving us is so there can be reconciliation. With God we can enjoy intimacy because there's no fear of rejection. David continues in Psalm 51. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When we belong to God, we are friends with him forever. When we stray from his flock, we, we're told that he will leave the rest of the sheep. He'll come and look for us. So valuable are we to him and he will bring us back. <coughs> What great intimacy there is 
from knowing that he's come in search of us, knowing that he, that he cares for us, knowing that he protects us from the evil one. Look at verse 5 and in the passage there. You hem me in <clears throat> behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Oops. Oops, Daisy. There goes the water. Um, now, if you read those words and thought of the big brother analogy, those words could be read negatively, couldn't they? If someone is out to get you, then to be hemmed in is, is scary. To have someone lay their hand on you is frightening. But in the context of a God who loves us, it is wonderfully reassuring to, to be hemmed in because it's to be protected by him. To have him lay his hand upon us is likewise to be cared for, to be provided for. And so the psalmist concludes this section with his words, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. In other words, it's just too much. I can't take it in that you, God, should want to know me and should want to know me in such an intimate way. Well, the question we're left with is how can we enjoy that relationship of intimacy with him? And the answer is quite simple. And it's what we've looked at already this morning. It's the thing we find, though, in some ways the hardest. It's through prayer. Through communicating with God in prayer. We can enjoy intimacy with God through prayer. And the sort of prayer that God delights in is prayer that is heartfelt. What he hates is hypocritical prayer. As Jesus said in Matthew 15, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If God delights in heartfelt prayer, then the first thing we need to do in prayer is ask God to reveal your heart to you. Those words that James read out earlier from the end of this psalm, I say, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's not just a prayer for us to know our evil thoughts and feel bad about it. It's to know that if there is anything offensive in us, then we can ask God to deal with it. So that he can lead us in the way everlasting. Which starts with forgiveness. Hence the importance of confession in our prayers. Not because if we don't ask for forgiveness for every sin we've committed that day or that week, we will somehow um, be out of fellowship with God. No, God forgives us for all of our sins. Even those that we're not even aware of. But us asking God to show them to us and acknowledging them helps us then to grow to be more like Jesus. Helps us to grow in intimacy with God. Secondly, approach the throne of grace in helplessness. The very fact that we're able to approach God's throne of grace is an amazing thing in itself, isn't it? That should never cease to, to lose its wonder for us. And therefore, we need to keep praising God for that privilege. Not so it becomes some sort of ritual we keep saying, but so that to, we remember to approach God in the right attitude. Neither in an over-casual way, nor in an over-formal way. One writer suggested making this following speech to ourselves as we pray, as we come to God. He said, let's say this, he who fills immensity has come down to me here. I am now about to bow at his feet 
and speak to him. I may pour, pour forth my desires before him, and not one syllable from my lips shall escape his ear. I may speak to him as I would the dearest friend I have on earth. To approach the throne of grace is to accept our helplessness. The foundation of the gospel is accepting we are helpless to do anything about our relationship with God, but rejoicing that we don't need to because God has done everything for us in Jesus. But we need to continue in that attitude of helplessness in our prayers. If we come to God with the attitude, um, hey God, I've done all these things, uh, I hope you're pleased with them. I just need a little bit of help with this thing here. It's like a child who wants to be to be grown up and independent, but doesn't want to admit they still need the, the, the help of their parents. But in Romans 8, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit comes when we acknowledge our weakness. If we don't acknowledge our total dependence on God, then we can't expect him to to come to us. Thirdly, open the door to Jesus so you can trust him more. As we said earlier, the basic requirement for intimacy is trust. To be a Christian is to trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. But trust doesn't stop there. The deeper our trust, the deeper our intimacy with God. In the letters to the churches in Revelation, we read this amazing promise of Jesus. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's often used as an invitation to somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus to welcome him into their hearts. But actually it's an invitation to believers those who already know him, is written to a church, um, the church in Laodicea, as an invitation to enjoy greater intimacy with Jesus. To invite somebody into dine with you is a, um, an invitation of friendship, isn't it? And the way in which we invite Jesus into our lives is through prayer, as we, we share everything that is on our minds, everything that is in our hearts, we, as we surrender our control to him, and as we trust him. I'm sure if the main, if I said the main thing we need most of the moment as a church is to pray more. I'm not sure many of you would disagree with that. But how many of us would then actually pray? What is going to actually make us pray more? Is it to um, stop a lot of the stuff they're already doing to create space and time to pray? I'm not sure really that's going to help because prayer comes from the heart. We have to want to pray. The ones often who pray most are the ones who are already busy. But they somehow find time to pray because they they want to pray. They see the the need for it, the, the necessity of prayer. They want to spend time with God. They know they need him every moment of the day. One of the guys at the men's breakfast yesterday shared um, that he gets up at four o'clock in the morning to pray. I say that not just to make you feel guilty or myself guilty, uh, because I don't think I could do that. But it's just a, a desire of his heart to pray. He sees the importance of it. Prayer will always be a battle, because the devil doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to grow deeper 
in our relationship with God. He doesn't want our faith to grow stronger. And he knows that if he can keep our relationship with God lukewarm, then he can undermine our faith and he can cause us to wander. But let's keep in our minds that image of Jesus knocking on the door. The devil will stop you going to that door to open it. There's all sorts of distractions, all sorts of things that become more important to us. But every time you pray, what you're doing is you are opening the door. You're spending time with Jesus. You're building a relationship. And you're growing in your faith. It's a wonderful thing to pray with Jesus. Wonderful thing to pray on our own as we grow in intimacy with him. But as we pray with others as well, it's a wonderful thing to not just grow in intimacy with God, but to grow in intimacy with our fellow believers because we're sharing things which are important to us, sharing things in our hearts with each other. So as we come to the end, let me just remind us of what we've been looking at. God knows you better than you can know yourself. And that is a wonderful reassurance. The fact that he knows us so well means that if we come to him in humility, asking for forgiveness, we don't need to worry about shame or rejection. And not only does he accept us as forgiven sinners, he wants us to know him better. He wants us to enjoy a deeper intimacy with him. And he's given us the means to do that, which is prayer. So the question for all of us is, do we want to know God better? Because he wants us to know him better. Let me finish with these words from Paul to the church in Ephesus. This was his prayer for them. He writes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better.